0: much for being in the house of the Lord today. If you're glad to be here, give the Lord a hearty amen. (laughs) It's good to see you. I, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews and it's in chapter 11 verse 8 and I'm speaking on the subject drowning in regret. Now, regret is something I really battle with. You know, part of my anxieties, I always worry, did I do the right thing? What happened? And when things don't go well, I second-guess myself, or I sometimes think God's mad at me, and things just are not gelling right in life. And uh, so so many times, regret sucks the life out of us. It sucks the oxygen out of us, and then we begin to, we get filled with feelings of despair, And sometimes we just feel like we miss God. And I want to speak to you today on the subject on drowning in regret. Now, we've talked about drowning in depression. Last week, Pastor Brad spoke about drowning in doubt. And today, I want to speak to you on drowning in this vice called regret. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. And the Bible says he went without knowing where he was going and even when he reached the land God promised him. Now this is the verse I want you to watch. And even when he reached the land God promised him he was like a foreigner Living intense. How interesting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for my brothers and sisters who have braved out this morning to come to the house of God. We thank you for your safety. Thank you for your pavilion of protection. The sanctuary of the house of God is a safe place for all of us. And I thank you for... Uh, Everyone who has come this morning, bless them, reward their faith, encourage them this morning uh, as they live for you. Now, Father, we'll pray that you would just bless the land of America. And God, I pray, uh, I know Satan is at work. Lord, we know that. And I pray, Lord, that in these last days, help us to be faithful to you and we'll give you the praise and glory for it all. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, regret is, is a feeling. It's a feeling of sorrow. It's a feeling of remorse. It is a feeling of disappointment over a past decision or action we made in the past. Uh, being a pastor, I, I'm in a situation where I always have to make a lot of decisions. One of the most mighty decisions is when I'm pastoring a church and God says, I want to move you to a new church. I remember in Calvary Baptist Church in Montgomery, I had to really get the ear of God. I didn't want to miss God because I don't want to be out of God's will. That's like being unplugged, like a lamp out in the middle of the parking lot. Electric is the source. Without the source, there's no illumination. And I want to be in God's will. And as I think about this, message of regret. I think about I want to be plugged into where God wants me to be. And when I, when I was at Calvary, God began to move and reveal to me that he wanted me to come to Baptist Bible Church in Elkton, Maryland. And there were so many things pointing that, but it wasn't written in the sky. It wasn't like God came down and said, I want to move you from Montgomery, Alabama to Elkton, Maryland. And I remember being very fearful of not missing God. I'm like, are these just circumstances coming about? And God always leaves that element of faith. He always wants me to trust Him. And, and, and uh, I had to really get the ear of God. And of course, me and my fear, I had all these fleeces and things put out. And uh, finally, God revealed, and I got, I got the peace, and God moved me to Elkton, Maryland. And it was a very careful thing. I wanted to make the right decision because I know a lot of people make wrong decisions and they get out of God's will and they go AWOL. I mean, they just just walk away from their Christian faith completely. Regret is a powerful thing. To drown in regret is almost living a life of defeat. I've messed up my whole life. I'll never be happy again. And I'm just suffering for it. What do you do when you think you've blown it, but you're not quite sure? Maybe you've changed jobs and you're like, man, that was fatal. Or maybe you, should have bought that new, uh, you shouldn't have new—you should have bought that new house, or maybe you shouldn't have moved to that new city, or maybe you shouldn't have taken that big promotion, or maybe you shouldn't have married that certain person that you thought you loved. Or maybe you shouldn't have, uh, have started that new business that you thought it was gonna fly, and all of a sudden you realize that that business end up being a tremendous deficit. You see, it's always easy to allow yourself to go down the road of regret, looking back and, and criticizing yourself for the decisions you made years ago that altered the course of where you are today. And we've, we've all done our share of second-guessing ourselves, and we live in that land of regret, regret, regret. Oh, I wish, man, I messed up my life. It's normal, it's natural. And to a certain extent, it can be useful. Now, I talked to a guy one time, he talked, I don't have one regret in life. I thought, nah, that's a lie. We all have regrets. We've all done things in our life that we look back on and thought to ourselves, man, in that crucial moment of pressure, I popped off and said something I shouldn't have said, man, I regret that. I recently read an email that someone said something like this with, with identifying details changed. I'll take those out. And he, it, it's, this email said this, in the early 1980s, I, I left a very good, prosperous job in the state of Maryland to move to Texas because I thought the Lord was leading me in that direction. But it never really worked out like I thought it would. Along the way, I got sick, I endured treatment down in Texas, and now I am much better after years, years later. I decided to move back to Maryland where I am a lot older now than when I left. And I wondered to myself, was I wrong to leave Maryland in the first place? How can I trust God with my future if I secretly regret and think my past decisions were wrong? You see, it's that last sentence that sticks in my mind. How can I trust God with my future if I secretly believe I miss God or I'm regretting my past decisions and I'm overwhelmed with regret? We've all been there one time or another. Some of us have been there many times. You bought the new house only to discover the foundation has cracks in it, and now your dream home has become a nightmare. You you took the new job because your old boss was a jerk, only discovered that your new boss is three times the jerk as the old jerk boss. You moved to a new city. You moved to a new city hoping for a new start, but but the promised job never materialized, and you discover that the people in the new city aren't particularly glad to see you. Or you decided to find a new church because you didn't like all the gossip in the old church, and you switched only to a new church to find out that. They were much worse than the old church. You prayed for a long time about starting a new business. When the time seemed right, you took a step of faith. You took all the money that you had and you put it into that business. You took that leap of faith and only to see it fail within nine months. Just one of many failed ventures in the general economic downturn. Now, the one key factor joins all of these examples You prayed about all of these decisions before you made them. You took all the steps you knew to take, including seeking godly counsel and considering circumstances and having your friends pray with you and searching for the Bible, uh, for words of wisdom to help you support your decision. And what I'm saying is you truly believe that you were doing the right thing at that time. And you were being very cautious but it didn't work out now you're drowning in regret and you wonder understandably did I make the right decision back yonder worse down worse down deep in your heart you ask God how can I trust you with my future if I secretly begin to doubt and regret all of my past decisions When I think of these down-to-earth examples, my mind goes back to the story of Abraham who answered God's call. He left the Ur of the Chaldees, and he gave up his idol worship and his comfortable lifestyle. He set out to follow the Lord in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, and it puts this momentous step of faith in perspective. The Bible says, by faith... When Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing where he was going. It was a place of faith. This verse illustrates essential truth about the life of faith. You never see the big picture in advance. Even if you think you see it, you really don't see it. You see, when God calls us, he doesn't always explain himself. He always tells you just enough to get moving in the direction he wants for you, but he doesn't always explain. And if he told us all about the details of the trials and testings that came along with it, we, we would never move. And it is precisely at this point that Abraham's greatness may have clearly been seen. You see, God called and he obeyed. Abraham's greatness is based on his obedience and going. Now, I'm sure when he was in his comfortable, he had his great business going, and he had his comfortable life. He had his houses, and he had his sheep and his livestock. He had everything all put together. His family is well-established. And God says, pick it all up and go to a place. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going to go. Just get up and go. Pack up and go. Just, just follow me on a day-by-day by day by basis. Some of you will have looked at that and said, that's crazy. Who would just sell their home and put all their money in their pocket and just set out on a... Who who does that? But God said to Abraham, go and I will bless you. (laughs) And Abraham went. And as he's going down the road, he's probably thinking, oh, I hope this is a good idea. He doubted. (laughs) I'm sure he argued with God. Wait. Wait. What if if this doesn't work? I'm sure he wondered, where in the world am I going to end up? You see, when God calls, the only proper response is just obey and go. Do you remember those old Greyhound commercials? Go, Greyhound, and leave the driving to us. Remember that? It's not a bad motive, motive for the life of faith. When God calls, move out and leave driving to him. Now, when we're attempting to do God's will for our life, now this is something I'm going to share with you that I'm working through in my own life. I want to share it with you because I can drown in regret really easy and it can suck the joy right out of me. I can look, I'm thinking, man, did I I miss? I can be so filled with doubt and so miserable. I want to share three things with you this morning that that has helped me and is, may I say, in a present tense, helping me presently through this issues of regret number one here they are number one resist drowning in regret by perceiving God's test in other words the things that I go through in life God never intended me to have an easy life sometimes I get the notion that if I obey God and if I follow God It's going to be an easy street. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to be blessed. But when trouble comes and when hardship comes and when things don't work out, I have a tendency to doubt God, to doubt the promises of God, and doubt myself that I miss God. Now, there's one thing we need to understand. When we follow God, it does not mean that we're going to be exempt from conflict and problems and difficulties. We learn that from the life of Abraham. In fact, Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. In fact, Genesis chapter 12 talks about the beginnings of the life of Abraham. And In fact, the Bible says, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem after he left his hometown of the Chaldees. And there he set up camp beside the oak of Morah. And at that time, the area, this is what the Bible says, the area was inhabited with Canaanites. Now, that's very significant, because if you understand anything about Old Testament biblical history, the Canaanites were always the sworn enemy of the people of God. They were enemies of the Israelites. You remember Goliath, David Goliath? That was a Canaanite. They were always down to destroy him. So God, listen, stay with me, God says, go to a land I'm going to show you, and he's following God. God leads him to Shechem, and Abraham wakes up one day and finds out that the people surrounding him were his enemies. That wasn't fun. It wasn't a welcoming committee there to say, hey, we're glad you're here. We love Abraham. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to destroy his family. Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, tells us he eventually arrived at Shechem, And the Bible adds this ominous phrase, and the Canaanites were in the land, the enemies. It's a reminder that living by faith is never easy, not for Abraham and not for you or for me. And then, (laughs) to make matters worse, He not only finds out he's living in the midst of his enemies, now he he shows up. And and the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And there was a famine in the land. He went to Shechem. Not only were there enemies surrounded him, there was a famine. There was no food. He went to the grocery store, and the shelves were clean. (laughs) There wasn't anything to eat. There was no water. The water had dried up. And he's probably thinking to himself, did I miss God? (laughs) What am I doing? Sometimes we have to understand, in order to resist drowning in regret, we must understand and we must perceive that God always takes us through trouble to test the motives of our faith. God took the Israelites' 40 years of wandering. Why? To try them to see what was in their hearts. And my friends, that was not an easy experience. They had it much harder than we have it. It was a tough experience. The Bible says, because of this famine, he left Shechem and he went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. The Bible says it was not only a famine, but it was grievous. Grievous. You see, God sent a famine just as Abraham got to Shechem and began to settle down. He had enemies, and now the famine. And now he says, we can't stay here. Now we've got to go down to Egypt because that's the only place of limited resources. The fact in and of itself is not unusual, but the timing ought to catch our attention. After Abraham's great step of faith, you would think that God would have given him a period of victory and comfort and peace after accepting his call. And Abraham was met with a world of trouble and conflict. Now think about this. When God says, Abraham, leave the Earl of the Chaldees, leave your beautiful country land, leave everything you've got behind, pack it all in, Pull your camels together, your horses together, take your whole entire extended family and set out. And their families back then were huge. And they set out into a land and they ended up in the enemy's camp and there was a famine in the land. He ended up going down to Egypt and the Egyptians hated them. And from that point on, Abraham, it didn't look like any kind of a blessing because it was nothing but trouble. From that time he left the Ur of the Chaldees it was headache after headache after headache. In fact, his wife was kidnapped by the Egyptian leaders because of his lying. Remember, he got down to Egypt and he looked at his wife and he knew how much Egyptians love women and he said, now you're a beautiful woman, and they see you. And if I tell them you're my wife, they're gonna kill me. So let's just tell them you're my sister and they won't kill me. <laughs> So they snatched her. They kidnapped her. Sure enough, she was a beautiful woman. They they snatched her. And God just brought plagues upon Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians because they stole something special from the Lord. that was Abraham's wife. And finally, they realized that the Hebrew God that Abraham was serving, they realized, they perceived that Abraham was an honest, And they gave him back Abraham's wife, and they said, get out of Dodge. Man, that was a big mess. That was conflict. It wasn't long before Abraham had a big family fight. Lot's people, which was his nephew and, and, and his side of the family, they all got feuding. You would have thought, this is one great Old Testament icon. They had a family fight like they've never had before. In fact, it was so bad, they were trying to kill each other. And God says, all right, Tom, separate. Abraham went to Lot and said, you pick, you choose, you go your way, we'll go our way. It was a big fight and a big split. That was a mess. Later on down the road, the promises of God didn't seem to come through. They were waiting for this promised son, Isaac. Sarah got, she says, I, I'm 90 some years old. And you're telling me that God's supposed to bless me with a child. Now, Abraham, we don't have to take matters in our own hands. She says, she, I have a faith in God. She decided to take matters in her own hands. She said, go sleep with Hagar. And then he committed a sin. And he went and slept with Hagar. They got a child named Ishmael. Is where you, saw, where you find the start of the Arab world. And there was a big fight, because later on, Sarah did get pregnant, and she conceived a child named Isaac, and then she despised Hagar. She said, kick Hagar out, and kick Ishmael out, and Abraham was tenderhearted, and he said, wait a minute, Ishmael's my son, you started this, they, they started fighting, you know they had some marital issues. I'm sure Sarah put some ultimatums on him, So he basically did, and God had to jump in and say, no, no, take them out. I'll take care of Ishmael, and I'll take care of Hagar. You just let them go, and that's the beginnings of the Arab world. And and they went their own way. And he went through that mess. Later on, there was turmoil between the two sons. And then there was that traumatic test on Mount Moriah, where God says, I want you to give me your son, sacrifice him on the altar. What I'm telling you is... Abraham followed God, and there was not one place along his journey that was like, oh, this is a blessing. It was like, good night. Why did all these terrible things happen when this great man obeyed? And the reason Abraham is great is because he stayed with the stuff. He didn't cave he, he embraced God's will, even in the midst of conflict, and God tested him, and he won the test, and he was proved to be solid gold, because Abraham loved God, and no matter what came against him, he had determined he would not leave the Lord. He tested. And then Abraham's day of victory came, because the day came where Abraham died And he entered into the country that God really prepared for him. And it was a place called heaven where we're all going to. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Trouble can easily cause us to drown in regret. Life is rarely that simple for any of us. God often sends trouble following a period of prosperity in order to test our motives Are we serving him just because things are going well or we're hoping to get something from God? What if we lose our job? What if we lose our marriage, our friends, our reputation, our wealth, our home, our health? Will we still serve God in the angst of trouble? (laughs) It's crucial to see the larger point. You see, the God who called Abraham in the first place is the same God who sent the famine when he arrived in Shechem. Shechem. The call, listen carefully, and the conflict go together because they come from the same place. Whoa. So when God called me to follow him, God also brings and allows conflict and problems to come in my life to teach me to trust in him. If we believe in a God who's in charge of all the details of life, then this must be true. I want to go back and look at that email that that man who wrote about, the one, about his wondering or regret about the mistakes he made by leaving Maryland in the first place. On one hand, there's no way to answer that question because I'm not aware of any verse in the Bible that says, stay in Maryland or move to Texas or move back to Maryland. <laughs> Nothing that simplistic. I can't even find the word Maryland in the Bible. And from that perspective, we're not talking about a sinful act. You could leave, you could stay, you could return, or you could move to California, and it could all be within God's will for your life. And life is short for all of us, and if any of us had a chance to do it all over again, we would probably make some decisions differently. I know I would. But that choice is not given to us to go back. So resist drowning in regret by perceiving the conflict that's coming in your life is God's testing you. And number two, here's the second thing that'll help you, that has helped me. Number two, resist drowning in regret by not being too introspective. <laughs> Isn't it true we overthink things? Man, I, I have to be careful. Late at night is when I really think. I'm thinking, oh, I shouldn't have did this. I shouldn't no, should have said, I should have said, I should, mm, why did I? Sometimes the worst thing you can do is just overthink. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. At that time, a severe uh, famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner, not accepted, not embraced. You see, when things seem to go downward in life after we choose to go forward with God, it's easy to drown in regret when trouble seems to disrupt our plans. You see, becoming too introspective can cause us to lose our moorings. We can lose our mind by overthinking And reading into every situation, sometimes we just got to step back and say, one day at a time, Lord, one day at a time. God, give me grace to deal with what I got to deal with today and not eat the pie in one bite. Amen? Amen? Life is that way. I don't know why God brings everything in my life. It doesn't matter what would have happened if the writer of this email had stayed in Maryland because no one but God knows how it would have worked out. Maybe if he stayed in Maryland, something horrible would have happened. I don't know. He doesn't know. The thing that matters is he's back in Maryland now. (laughs) Amen. If we don't believe in God and his sovereignty, we're doomed to frustration because we will replay our decisions over and over and over again. But if we believe in God and his sovereignty, at some point we have to move on. And then we got to realize the lot that God has given us in life is his plan for our life, and God has permitted it to be so. So therefore, instead of moaning and groaning and second-guessing ourselves and getting mad at God and questioning God or trying to a wall from it all, we just got to say, God, you called me through this, and I'm going to walk through it by faith. The only way to do that is to focus on God and his greatness and his goodness. Romans 8, 28, which is, is, is foundational for my life. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. Does that include the good things that happen to us? Does it include decisions we make that turn out well? We know the answer is yes. Does it include the worst things that happened to us? Does it even include our questionable decisions we've made in the past? You see, if words mean anything, then all things of Romans 8.28 must include those decisions we think we would make differently. When we factor God in, wow, we can start letting go of the past. At some point, we need to pray a prayer like this, Lord... I believe you can use those things for my good and your glory. I believe it is because your word says it. And I also believe that if I trust you, you will prove yourself faithful to me, me, even though right now I have doubts about how my life is working out. So we need to resist drowning in regret by not being too introspective. We just gotta stop thinking it over and reading into everything and jumping to conclusions. Our life is but a vapor. You're just on a quick journey. This is God's campground. This is God's boot camp. This is God preparing us, shaving off all the worldliness out of us bringing suffering into our lives to teach us to let go of this world because, my friend, we are leaving soon and we're going to heaven and God is putting us through a purging place to prepare us for heaven. Number three, and then I'm through and all God's people said amen for the third point. Aren't you glad it's not seven points? Yes. Here we go, number three. Resist drowning in regret by never going back. Wow, it's tough for me. I'm going to tell you something, that's tough for me. I go back. I go back. But I've got to realize that if I don't want to drown in regret, I've got to stop going back and second-guessing myself. Genesis 12:1 says, I like this, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. <laughs> don't drown in regret by trying to go back to the past. You can't live in yesterday as a wise man said, the key to a better future is to stop trying to have a better past. You said, man, I look back and I mean, I did some stupid stuff in my past. And man, it's the stupid decisions back there derailed me today and the stupid things I did yesterday. Let, let me tell you something. God understands it all. He understands it all. And, and here's the beauty of it. He makes, he takes our stupidity, he makes our bad decisions, and he trumps it all, and he uses it all, all the conflict, all the messes, and he uses it for his glory. That's the amazing thing about grace. He is a great eraser. Oh, I love that. Here's the most profound thing I know about the past. It is what it is, and nothing you can do can change it in the least. If you believe that today, say Amen. It is in the past. You can't live in the past. You can't live in today forever. The voice of God calls us onward tomorrow. Now, here's a series of three statements, what I call the first law of spiritual progress. Here are three statements I want to share with you. Number one, it goes like this. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I must go forward. Can I say this again? I can't go back. I can't stay here I must go forward. You see, you can't go to, back to the past not to relive the good times or undo the mistakes you made, but you can't stay where you are either. you got to go forward. That's the first statement. Here's the second statement. Life is a river that flows ever onward. <laughs> Life is a river that flows ever onward. I'm like a little stick in the current of water. I'm just going with God. Amen. God's not concerned about you going back and making a pretty pass. He's concerned about you making a decision today to be totally surrendered to the Lord. Say, God, I want to follow you. No matter what you bring my way, no matter what conflict, no matter what problems, I'm going to trust you and you're going to help me because this journey is not forever. One day it's all going to end. You're going to take your last breath. You're going to leave this world and you're going to enter the joys in the kingdom of heaven. You're going to spend a whole lot more time over there than you are in this little segment of time. God's people said what? Amen for that. Here's the third statement. It matters not whether you're happy in your present situation or whether you seek deliverance from it. You can't stay stay where you are forever. The only way is to go forward. You got to go forward. You see, when you're tempted to despair, remember that you can't go back. You can't stay where you are. And by God's grace, you can move forward one step at a time. My challenge to help me with my regret is, Tim, stop going to the, to the past. Stop second-guessing yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Realize, Tim, that your life is a story that was planned out in the heavenlies before you took your first breath of life. God knew what was going to happen. God allowed me to live, make mistakes, mess up. And God says, Tim, watch this. This is the beauty. I'm going to take all the craziness and all the stupidity and I'm going to roll it up. And when you get to heaven, I'm going to show you, look at the masterpiece I have done with your life. To God be the glory. Listen, we're just pilgrims passing through. We're on our way to the celestial land. You know what Abraham said? God promised me a better country. I'm looking for it. He kept saying, I know Abraham, lot. we have a big family fight, but hey, there's a better place I'm heading to. He thought it was going to be on earth. When, when Sarah was giving him the dickens, <laughs> they were fighting. He's like, you yeah, know, there's no pain like marital pain. <laughs> and he kept thinking, There's another day because I'm looking for this city. I'm looking for this city. I'm looking for this city. He kept on looking, 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 and one day, he took his last breath, and God said, welcome to the city. A city that has no foundations, but it's built on the promises and the glory of God. Abraham's been in that city for a long, long time. 6,000 years he's been there. You're not going to park it here. You're not going to be here long. Life is fleeting. We're to keep looking. God takes it all, uses it all for his glory. Resist drowning and regret by perceiving God's test for your life. It's okay. We can get together and compare war stories. I bet my troubles are bigger than your troubles. <laughs> we can do that. It doesn't make any difference. God just knows what kind of trouble he needs to put in our life to shave off the carnality and the foolishness out of us to bring us to a spiritual glory. Number two, resist drowning in regret by, becoming, by being too introspective, thinking too much, dwelling on it too much we got to back it up and just throw it all in the lap of God. Here we go. Here we go. Lord, I'm just going to. Tomorrow's a new day. Thirdly, resist drowning and regret by never going back. Forget the past. Paul says, for forgetting those things which are behind. He wanted that because he was like a psychopath. He killed Christians. That's what he did for a livelihood. He just grabbed Christians and killed them. He hated the church. He hated it until he met the Lord of the church on the road to Damascus. And that's why he said, forgetting those things which are behind. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I did the most horrible things to the church, but now I'm transformed. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Forget, forget, forget the mistakes of yesterday. Embrace the opportunity you have to do God's will today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Help us. Help us, Lord, to stay out of the pit.